Hi, this is Shane Ivey with Arc Dream Publishing and Delta Green, and you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. Good evening, everybody. We're uh, back at the uh, the round table again tonight. We've got a dungeon talk again. We've got a couple of people hanging out here with us, uh, as well as my itinerant uh, co-host and partner, uh, Vince. So I'm going to kick it over to him and uh, let him give us an intro. Yes, I am back. You thought you could get rid of me? Well, you're wrong. Okay, so dungeon talks are continuing to move and progress apace, and this is what, number four? John? Yes. Number four. Okay, so this is number four, and we're just going to do a general discussion about geekery, what we're doing lately involving anything in, anything involving the geek culture and sundry things that branch off of that. Um, you don't feel, feel free to to bring up any other any topics that are related or semi related. This is loose and fast, as Aaron would say, and uh, we're very informal here. We curse a lot and we do ridiculous things. That's what we're all about. So. What we're going to do is there's we have a few new people here and some returning people. We're going to start off with Mr. Dan Mulhern and then move on to the introductions from there. Take it away, Dan. Hey, everybody. I'm Dan Mulhern. I'm a, a regular here on the Legends of Tabletop Dungeon Talk streams. Um, I'm from the Philadelphia area. Uh, I grew up uh, in my first in experiences with tabletop gaming. We're in middle school uh, in the 90s. Uh, continue to play Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Magic the Gathering, other card games, and other RPGs through and through my college years. Um, now I have four kids. Haven't had a whole lot of uh, gaming time, but where I can, I've been playing in uh, some games with Vince and John. Um, just a huge game fan with not enough time to actually game, and uh, and an aspiring everything writer. Uh, game designer got lots of plans and zero time to follow through on them. Well, it's all the it's those nine kids that you have to take care of, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, pretty much. All right. Then we have next Aaron. You're a, you're a relative newcomer, but you've been on a few times, and you've also played Dungeons and Dragons with us. Yeah, yeah, I have played with you guys. Uh, I play the character Sled, uh, and uh, I'm an author, blogger, internet guy, uh, and fortunately. Uh, it's enough that I make a living off of it. It's not a hobby. That's what I do uh, during the daytime. Uh, and then, uh, thankfully, with the wonders of the Internet, have been able to get back into gaming after a, a long hiatus of being an adult and getting mortgages and you know, working and, and all the other fun stuff. So uh, now I kind of play online. A couple places. I go to some hangout groups. I went to a hangout group in Las Vegas, and that was painful. Uh, and um, yeah, otherwise, uh, I prefer to hang out with you guys and play online because you guys have your act together. But yeah, I started playing in the 80s back in high school, did everything from Warhammer to Shadowrun and of course D&D, uh, but uh, more recently returning to Dungeons and Dragons and getting more board games like Settlers of Caratan and like that. Excellent, excellent. Um, 
the very very first um, edition, a newer edition, is TJ. And TJ, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm I'm an author, writer, and reporter from the Seattle area. I now live in the the part of the mountains, as it were. Um, I kind of grew up on playing a, just about every board game that you could think of: uh, Stratego, um, Risk, Monopoly, uh, and I'm trying to think of all the other different ones that aren't really in uh, vogue anymore. Um, but I also got addicted to. Uh, Settlers of Catan years ago, and and now I'm trying to find people to play it with. Another uh, card game that I love um, fanatically is the game Bang, which is a a, a spaghetti Western-themed card game, kind of like Mafia except with cards. Um, And I also, when I was a kid, I was one of the biggest Legend of Zelda nerds you'd ever meet. Nice. And last but not least, Gabe, you're up. Hey guys, um, yeah, I'm a game developer in the Philadelphia area, uh, making video games, but also publishing a card game that uh, some friends and, and I uh, produced. And, and uh, we just released our uh, video game, uh, Super Rock Blasters, out on Switch uh, last week. Um, you can buy it on the Nintendo eShop today. Excellent. Oh, um, what was the name of that game again? Super Rock Blasters. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, asteroids, but instead of shooting asteroids, you're shooting each other uh, for up to four players. It's good when you can shoot your friends. <laughs> Absolutely. That's that's what it's all about. Uh, make Not only shooting your friends, but maybe even your enemies and making new ones. So, Gabe, when you talk, we're getting a weird feedback, kind of like sonar noise, a bit of an echo. Say something. Is it uh, when I turn the mic on you hear it? Yeah, when you talk. All right, let me see if I can fix something. Sounds more like a mosquito at night that keeps you up for 10 hours. Yes, yes, that is true. Wake up beleaguered because you couldn't hunt it down or find it. And then you're covered in mosquito bites, yes. Do you know how good it feels when you find that fucker? Oh, I know. I I was just talking about this. I had one in the car and didn't know it, and I would get into work. I'm like, why is my... Why my arms bit up and my fucking itching? And finally, today I park and I see this little mosquito buzzing around near the window. Apparently, he was very hardy and fortified. Um, the uh, the muscular version of the basic mosquito was just lingering in my car, so I I murdered him. Well, he's feeding off of your blood, so he probably got extra. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, exactly. He's just you know, mutant mosquito. It became Vincent Man. It's like Spider Man, except Vincent it's the mosquito. <laughs> exactly. He turns bugs into superheroes when they bite him. I think so. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get any superpowers from it. Just a lot of bites on my arm. Yeah, I don't know if I can fix anything. Is it still going? Yeah, it's, it's like, like a weird sci-fi sound effect, like a ringing noise, like like earrings going. Like all right, well, bed. I'll just keep my microphone off until I need to say something. Then... Well, that's that, that's when it that's when it happens. Like when you talk. It... All right, never mind. Do you want to drop it? We can we can do it. Yeah, well, you want to drop out and jump back in again? Because sometimes just it's a weird connection with Google that. Yeah. Sure, I'll yeah. give it a try. I'll be right back. Well, TJ, I have a question for you. Did, have you played uh, Dungeons and Dragons or other uh, role playing games, or just strictly board games? Um, I did get briefly into it was like some sort of Star Wars role playing thing for like once or twice, 
with um, with some of my Boy Scout friends, but it didn't really take off. I think it was just we were playing so many other games that it was just um, we, it was something we talked about a lot and the whole idea of how the role play rules should be set, but we never actually got into it. Okay. I, I wonder sometimes if there's a divide between the two where people that, you know, are heavily into board games, you know, maybe don't dabble quite as much into, into the other side. Yeah, it, it's interesting because um, I, I think one of the fascinating parts of games is trying to make it, you're trying to, I'd say, create a balance between where a person wins because they are good at what the game, the skill that the game is focused on, but at the same time allowing for a little bit, like you can't control everything. So there's going to be a bit of luck, like when you roll the dice and all that stuff. So there's all that, that, that chance or um, fortune that goes along with it. But I think it's interesting when I've played games as a kid or when I was playing like Settlers of Catan or you're playing uh, Monopoly or you're playing uh, Bang, how the whole the, the who's winning the game at that moment can completely turn with the roll of the dice. And I think that that part keeps it interesting, but um, I don't know. Cause I've been thinking about designing my own game for a long time, but I was just trying to figure out how do you do it where people, cause if you, there's too much luck, then people aren't really going to be interested in the game. But if there's, if there's too much certainty by skill, then somebody who's really good can just beat anybody who's, you know, it, it makes it hard to play games when you've gotten that good. Um, so you have to allow a little bit of chance into it. Right. I, th I think the Euro games are more uh, based on strategy and skill than, you know, that, that variability. So maybe, you, maybe you're looking to design a Euro game. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out how, I, I think you're always going to have to have the dice or the die, whatever they want to call it, at least one die uh, dice um, or something like that, because, that's um well at least i don't even think in bang you have the as a card game you don't have any die i don't believe it's just you you randomly shuffle the cards and then you flip one up and it you know you can get based on what you get so there's some games where some times i was playing that game and i would get knocked out of the game very early on because i could not get a good card whereas somebody else was constantly get just being lucky and getting the the card so i think that i don't know it's it trying to account for everything. And I think that that's where the testing, where you really got to see, is this something that people have fun playing? And if not, then you got to go back and figure out, well, what, what do they not like? What, what am I not enjoying about this game? Right. It, it's a pretty big market though. I mean, there's, there's like, I see games come across Twitter, people, oh, I back this, or I just picked up that, or, you know, playing so-and-so. And I'll look at it and go, eh, I don't know. Maybe like, maybe it's good. I don't know. Uh, right. I, I think I'm a little more, uh, omnivorous as far as games goes uh like I'll, I'll play you know light 15 minute you know like you could play this at lunch you know four or five times right to like you know uh the big box for for uh shogun or you know some other you know heavy like euro style game so i'm 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 kind of all over the board i might be a, a bad example um but it, I, god oh yeah i think that that where it Oh, you know what? Another game that was crazy to play as a kid was Diplomacy, which was a game. I don't know if any of you guys played it, but it w takes place right before World War One, and it's all about <clears throat> um, your you you would so you get to be in different countries. You're going to be Germany, France, England, Russia, um, the Ottoman Empire, and you go talk to everybody. And you try to get alliances and say, I won't attack you if you don't attack me. Let's attack this person or whatever. 
And so then you would actually write down what your moves and then somebody would read out the moves and then you discover what people actually were going to do. And so we stopped playing it because everybody just started lying to each other. And then uh, like we were like, we were, I was like, can I trust this person in real life? They can lie to me like, oh yeah, I'll totally back you up. And then the, the, you know, both Germany and England invade France at the same time or something like that. Um, so you get a little, you get a little cynical and then a, it, like just a lot of manipulation going on. And then, then you're, by the time you're done, you're like, I can understand how they got into a war. <laughs> the more sophisticated version of killing your friends, like the super rock blasters. <laughs> Every TJ just doesn't like it because everybody just piled up on him. That's probably what happened. He came. Let's get him. I was too honest of a man. That's what that was. Right, what was. Exactly. That's, that's what I'm saying. Point. You're a nice right. guy. You came walking in and like, let's get this guy. You show his weakness. Yeah, I want to go. But isn't, but isn't that the entire purpose of those games is to kind of foster that suspicion and yeah, that's why we stopped doing it because then you know somebody would in real life would say, "Oh, you can trust me, TJ." And I go, "Well, you lied to me and during the game." He's like, "Well, that's for <laughs> the point of the game." And I go, "Yeah, but I had a problem lying to you." <laughs> you know, it's like, my honesty. Free. Yeah, my honesty should not be held against me in a in a. Well, then you probably game. shouldn't be playing poker at all ever. <laughs> oh no! Crazy story. I speaking of poker, crazy story. So I was volunteering, doing some volunteer work with a. Um, VFW or something like that. And I walked in and it was like a poker game night or something like that. And I went in and I was doing really, really badly. But then I ended up winning, like there were two tables and I ended up walking away with a hundred bucks um, that night because I'm people, for whatever reason, I have a poker face unintentionally. I have a, a an unwitting poker face where if Resting I have a good- poker face. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I would, I would tell them, or I would just, they'd say, you have a, you have a really bad hit. You're just bluffing. And of course I'd give them a look like, uh, not really. And they would think I'm, I'm bluffing. And then they would go all in and then I would go all in and then I'd walk away and they're like, ah, oh, he wasn't joking. And then they'd say, Oh, this time he is bluffing. I got him. And then, cause I get like, you know, I get two great hands and I'd still just clean up. Um, so ironically enough, I can lie to people with my face or at least unintentionally deceive them. Um, but not with diplomacy. No. Yes. When you're forced to communicate, <laughs> you have to, uh, you know, either be good at lying or, you know, get screwed well, over. <laughs> mind you, that was back in the day when I was young and idealistic and naive. This was like when I was 15 or 14. So I have grown older and wiser. And now I, instead of being the puppet, I am the master. <laughs> You know, and you train <laughs> on tabletop games. Exactly. You learn how to – yeah, that's – okay, so let's get into that. The importance of playing board games be, um, in what they teach you. And not to get like too like serious or whatever, but one of the things that I learned from playing all these different games is learning cooperation with, with other people if you're trying to get the same thing done. And also learning that uh, if you want to beat somebody, you got to get better. Like the whole competitive thing. You got to just, you got to figure it, it helps you figure out problems and, and all other stuff, not to, you know, psychoanalyze uh, board games, but it's almost as though uh, I want, I don't know. I, you see like the whole volunteer participation trophy generation. And you think, did these kids ever play any kind of competitive 
board game where there are winners and losers. I remember when I was a kid, they were always saying, it's not whether you win or lose until you play the game. And of course, I'm thinking to myself under my breath, uh, that's not how it works. That then right. Explain the Olympics, right? <laughs> there are winners and losers. The winners get the gold medal. The losers get nothing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, and tabletop, like RPGs are the same way. Like, you know, you start as a kid, you know, it, it teaches math. It te teaches cooperation. Uh, you know, it stimulates storytelling. Uh, I think that there's a truth. I think there's truth in RPG. Kathy was talking about this in, in a, one of his podcasts a long, long time ago about how um, if people are really good in one area, they're going to be have a deficit in another area. And I think that's absolutely true. And that's a life truth that RPGs are like, whether they're Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, they there is no perfect person. If you're really great in one area, you're likely going to have a big flaw in another. And you look whenever you look at like some great leader or somebody who's really good at one thing, you notice that they have a flaw in another, you know, another area. Like I know people who, who are really good at um, like computers or they're good at programming and they're good at uh, whatever, like they're good home improvement. They're good at working in the shop. I'm not, but they're also not that great at, at the gym or going to the gym at least. <laughs> right. They're not, as in, they're not as in good physical shape. So it's the same thing with, with Dungeons and Dragons characters. Kids learn, okay, if uh, you know, th that's part of life, um, figure out what you're good at and work on that. Do you enjoy any, um, you know, with your experience with diplomacy, do you enjoy any like social deduction games at the table? Or are you still an active uh, uh, board game player? You know, I I love playing board games. I just I don't have the same social circle that I used to have a couple years ago, where um, everybody ended up just going their own way. Like they just people moved out of the area, they got married or whatever. Um, I, I'm still a a big board game type person i'm very bi big about doing things in person with other people and and talking to people who are actually in the same room as you i mean i love doing this kind of stuff and i love doing cappy's uh older brother podcast and, and all the other stuff but i think that real life interaction is is important as well and you know this is the way it used to be but you know when <laughs> it's almost like that's the whole generational thing that's also interesting is um, we always talk about the difference between millennials who grew up after the internet came out, so they never knew anything else, and people who grew up before. Well, it's the same thing also, I would say, with board games, where if you wanted to play a game, you didn't pull out your phone, you you got, you got, went into your your toy closet, and you pulled out a board game, and you actually socialized with, with your friends. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to ask you guys if you've had any experience gaming in person, uh, say, oh, even yeah. in the past. You have? Gaming in person? Oh, yeah. John, when John was still here in New Jersey, and Dan is not far from me, um, we have a game around the table. And that's, let's see, we, John, we started um, fourth edition in what, 2007? Uh, 2008, it came out. Uh, we picked up the books and started playing within, I don't know, a couple of weeks. I mean, we hadn't played in, you know, since second edition, so years and years. And it was just like, God, oh, do you want to play? You know, you were like, oh, there's a new edition. You want to play? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess maybe whatever. And that's great. That we're on, that's and that's 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 the attraction. What TJ is talking about is that camaraderie and socialization around the table. This is great, and I trust me. I love the technology and the fact that we can do this is nothing short of magical and amazing to me. But sitting around the table and Gabe as well. Gabe joined up. When did you join up, Gabe? Like 2010, 11. I think we uh, well. Me and you met up at uh, like Barnes and Noble with a few other people from like a meetup. 
And yeah. we, we had our own game going for a while, too. We did. And we all got together at my house and played. And, you mm -hmm. know, if we didn't get together at my house, we didn't play. So, you know, and then, you know, and then I started coming to your games as well with Dan and James. And um, we had fun that way. But, yeah, uh, you know, it's always getting together. And I think that's kind of a better. I mean, it's nice to do it every once in a while, uh, you know, using the Internet as a tool. Uh, but getting together and being in the same room is, is way, way different and way, uh, way better experience, in my opinion. Well, what out of how many of you guys have outside of your core group here? Have you guys ever played physically with other people then? Because everyone seems to be located in the Jersey, Philly area, and that's convenient for you guys. But have because I think there's well, a outside gap. of outside of uh, Vince, I had another um, another D and D group. Uh, composed of different people that we played with and we did that for like two years and then uh, I would just have uh, nights where I would just invite people over and we'd all play board games and drink beers and stuff so mm -hmm. it happens you know it happens often enough yeah okay. sounds wonderful the, <laughs> back in the late 80s early 90s I would do um, game conventions local game conventions in the tri-state area back when that was uh, getting a start I mean I guess the Really, the first one was Gen Con back in the yeah, late, like late seventies, like like really late sixties, early seventies, when uh, war gaming was was big. Uh, and that's, you're going and you're gaming with total strangers, so that was that was a huge thing too. It was a, almost like a major event. You get your stuff together, you'd register online. There was no right, not online by mail. You get your your, your registration packet back you get set and get ready to go if you had a character they would send you the character you get ready or you'd show up and they have a character there that you just played and the way you went so um, vince we did uh, a couple times we did a uh wizards of the coast had dungeons and dragons um they kind oh, yeah. of organized I forgot about that. Yeah. where you would you would get together with a group of basically the locals at whatever game store um, where we go, like uh, we met up. We met, we met at the, at the Ron's comic shop a few times. Yeah, they were, they were they took place on Wednesday nights. I completely forgot about that. Man. Yeah, it was it was fun, and uh, you know it's it's interesting because it's a cooperative game, and there's like so much, so many decisions to make that depend on each other. Um, that to to kind of uh, see how you work together and and figure out how to how your strategies are going to go and like you know, looking around at these people and like, does this person have any idea what they're doing? Do I have any idea what I'm doing? Or are we just going to, you know, totally wipe here or do we have a chance? Uh, it's, it's interesting. It's fun. Um, and then by the same token that there's a, uh, you know, magic has magic, the gathering, they have weekly tournaments at local game stores. Um, and for me, since I get out like once a year to, to go to these things, it's, it's pretty much always a new crowd. Um, that's, it's a different experience cause it's all competitive and oppositional. You're not trying to, to cooperate and collaborate with people. Um, but it's still fun to get out and, and see some fresh faces. Um, uh, not always the freshest smells, but you know, uh, have you guys tried <laughs> hitting out groups yet? Like well, that's, that's where Gabe and I met through a meetup, strangely enough, for my brother who quickly dropped out. But as far as like um, official meetups, I haven't gone to any of those. All, and, but John did run one, a board game meetup for a while. 
I did, yes. Uh, when we first started the pod, the podcast, and you know, I started to get more and more into board gaming. I'm like, well, shit, this is a good way to bring people to the to the show. I'll I'll host a meetup. Uh, so I paid the fee and you know found a location, and it it never really took off all that well. I, like the most people we ever had at, at one spot was you know maybe like ten people. Um, but but meetup is a good way to 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 get into the community if if. You know, you have uh, things like uh, tabletop simulator and stuff like that, where you could play board games online. Uh, but like what you guys are saying, it's it's not it's not the same because it's about the socialization. It's about you know sharing a beer and you know having a burger, or whatever. Um, I do my board gaming in person now, uh, but I do almost exclusively exclusively my role playing is now online for the podcast. Um, but but together is is the best, and you know we had. You know, when you're meeting a random group, and I made a note when you were talking earlier, Aaron, um, it, it's a mixed bag. You don't know what you're going to get when you go. Like, you know, you hang out with people in your regular friends group if they're if they're all kind of nerdy and, you, you know, you play games and stuff. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, I'm, you know, this is the way it should be. And then, you know, you go to a convention, maybe you go to a meetup, and you're like, wow, that guy's, you know, fuck, whatever. Um, yeah. And it, you know, it's people, right? I mean, that's just it, that's the way it's going to shake out. Uh, I don't know if they're people. I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> I, we had uh, the area that I'm in in Arizona. There's a lot of retirees, so you know, we had an older woman come in, and you know, she didn't know anything about board games, and you know, it's not Monopoly and Parcheesi anymore. It's you know, these heavy Euro games and all this different kind of stuff. So she had no idea. Um, and you know, we try to walk her through it, and you know, kind of explain the rules and. You know, if she didn't understand something or right, why are they doing that? I didn't do that. How come they get to do that? I'm like, well, on their turn, they try to, and she, you know, she played, you know, she was there for a little bit and she seemed like she was kind of interested. And then finally she was like, fucking I'm out. Like <laughs> we never saw her again. Can't hang. But I, you know, so I, I, I don't normally play role-playing games when I go to conventions. I do board games and stuff. Uh, Cause it, it's kind of a different crowd. Like, I mean, there's tons of crossover, but uh, I did play a uh, Call of Cthulhu game at Arizona Game Fair earlier this year, and it was not – the GM was good, <laughs> but the experience at the table was not fantastic, which is why I don't normally do it. And now I could say I tried it. <laughs> so, so your wisdom to returning noobs like me is that the board games, which have – Pretty much, it's all rules. It's certainly some strategy, but it's not as open ended as an RPG. Mm. And if you got the rules, it kind of forces everybody to play like it uh, or play by the rules. But whereas, not saying the experience was similar when I've gone to meet up Dungeons and Dragons group, but it was similar. Uh, <laughs> where it's a shit show. These people are. Everyone wants to go to the bar and get meat and find a wench. the The DM has no control over over his soldiers. Uh, and I remember one time we never made it out of the bar in two hours. And I'm kind of like, what? You could have gone to the actual bar. You got I could, yeah. yeah. I could have built a bar in the middle of the desert. Now, my own D&D, &D, you guys could all flew out there and we would have gotten further along in the campaign than we did this particular group. But that's a, that's a good observation to note that the, the board games with the rules tend to do better when you're meeting out in public. The structure, it kind of imposes a, 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 an intrinsic order, yes. Right, well, because everybody comes to a role-playing game with a different 
expectation, right? So like if you have your like our and it's different for us, like for podcasting, everything is is pretty tight and we may meander and role play or whatever, but like we're you know, we have three hours to play this game tonight because you know, for everybody on the East Coast, it's late, you know, later than it is for me. Uh, so it's a different experience. Um, you know, two hours in the bar could be fun, theoretically, if everybody's super engaged in the role playing and there's like, you know, a bunch of side stories and stuff going on. But if it's like, hey, this is D&D, I want to go kill some monsters and shit, let's go. And everybody's like, well, you know, I want to do this and this person wants to do that. It, you, there's no there's no cohesion because you don't know the people. Right. So you don't know what their expectations are when they come and sit down at the table. What are they expecting to get out of this game? Because um, that varies so much from, you know, from player to player. They didn't get much out of that game. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Lots of mead and bar wenches. That was about all that happened. Well, you know, and it, it brings up another question tangentially to that is, is the social contract when you sit down at the table. Right. So. You know, GM, you find a GM, whether it's on Meetup or, you know, your friends group or whatever, and they're like, all right, cool, I'm going to put this story together, I'm going to run this module. And then the expectation is when you sit down, it's like, okay, you put this work in, we're going to, we're along for your story. And not that right. they're driving the story, because the players do that, it's a cooperative thing. But the expectation is, okay, great, we're going to go and find the MacGuffin and not like, oh, we kill the bar owner and then rerun the bar forever now. And like that, we hire our own adventurers because <laughs> fuck, that shit's dangerous. <laughs> well, well, you would think there'd be at least this understanding and etiquette, I guess, that if the DM put in the time and effort to put together this campaign and other people came to play and these were sadly not rookie kids who were 13-year-olds who just hit puberty last week. These were like people in their oh, 20s or so, uh, maybe one in their 30s. But uh, I, was, I was kind of appalled where, like, here's this DM. He put together this campaign. He had notes. He had charts. He had uh, maps and everything. Um, pretty good storyline, what we did get into it. And uh, I, was, I was just kind of uh, – I wouldn't say insulted because they weren't insulting me, but they were insulting this guy that put all this. But then he completely just didn't care. Like he didn't move him along because the, the DM has a little bit of godlike control. He can move yeah. it along in subtle ways, but he didn't. He just completely capitulated. So um, in one of my games, um, the game has been taken forever. It was like two years and they still hadn't been like past like level two or something like that. But they were like hotly debating what their next move should be. And I think they spent like a half hour trying to figure out this elaborate plan for not getting caught for something that I did not have in, in the campaign at all. You know, like they were trying to like take every consideration and they're just like, guys, you're a bunch of fucking heroes. Be heroes. Stop trying to not die and just go for it. And so uh, they kind of looked at me and was like, you're right. And they just stopped what they were doing. And they're like, let's do it. And they all charged out into battle and, you know, they didn't, they put caution to the wind and, and everyone actually started to have more fun because they weren't worried that I was going to like have some elaborate way of killing them off. I just had a story to tell and something that they would have fun playing. Yeah. I guess there's like a, you know, there's the whole mentality of the gotcha, like the gotcha DM and the players are all get paranoid and then uh, over uh, overzealous when it comes to planning everything out. But, uh, you know, the DM could just drop a rock on your head whenever he wants. So it's kind of pointless. <laughs> and I think that's kind of the old style, right? I mean, like right, coming yeah, the, through the, yeah. 
you know, the eighties and stuff. It's like, you know, DM is God and bring food and like, you know, do all this. Like, yeah. Okay, dude, you're, you're running a game. Like we're playing here together. Don't be a dick. Right. Like, I mean, it's, and you know, I, I think, and I'm sure there's probably groups that still play like that. That that's not my aesthetic. I wouldn't, I wouldn't play with people like that. Cause it's not, it's not like that, but you know, again, you know, it's, it's the social contract. You're like, yes, I acknowledge that you've done, you know, this amount of work for us to have a good time tonight. And that's awesome. And thank you for doing that. And let's, you know, let's tell a story together. Now, well, I, have I, played, I have, I have played some uh, first edition AD and D and that game's brutal, man. I had to have people have like six backup characters just because they, they would just die left and right anyway. So and you think maybe that's where that kind of mentality came came from when the game was just like more hardcore and less forgiving that uh well, you know characters became players became more paranoid when the game first came out there was really nothing to compare it to i mean it was that was that was it so yeah that was the role we're, we're, game. we're just going back and saying oh well this is what we have now and then first edition you know it's whoa okay that's well, there's not a lot of hit points. I mean, it, yeah. it, it's a brutal game mechanically. is is hard, you know. Yeah, it's, but it was you know there was we guinea pig that when it came out. So, so you're saying the later editions were uh, they loosened up the statistics and and it, it got a little, well the books themselves the rule books got a little more streamlined and they were outlined better as far as how it made sense when you went to read the rules. Because if you look at the first edition handbook in the Dungeon Master's Guide, especially the Dungeon Master's Guide, there's shit everywhere. You get, you're going to find a stat here on page 10, and then you got to jump to 86 to find out how it's adjudicated, and then there's there's something over here that doesn't make sense, but it's on page 45. So it's like a was, fantasy flight book. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, I think one of the first... Uh, adventures or campaigns that kind of tried to fix that problem it was still in advanced dungeons and dragons or first edition or whatever you want to call it but it was uh the Dragonlands campaign and they they didn't want you killing off players number one because then players can't play and number two they had iconic characters that they didn't want to kill off until a particular time so they they had like i forget what they called it but basically you know if you died in finger quotes or air quotes like some something would happen to you know oh well you know you left me back at the thing when i died but i really wasn't dead and uh you know actually this this person came around and saved me and dragged me and, and, and bandaged me up or whatever and, uh, and they had like um uh, you know uh, a way for you to kill off players but at the same time bringing them back and i've heard of other games where like you know your player dies and then all of a sudden you know the the the, the campaign becomes about at least for a little while about taking that dead character, your friend, and finding a way to getting him back. And that becomes the adventure, which I think is also a pretty cool idea. That way everybody gets, still gets to play, but they get the, you know, maybe the, the dead adventure is like a ghost or something like that. And they, get, they still get to play around. They're not like having to roll new characters, but um, it keeps the story going and it keeps everybody, you know, together and, and tight knit. That's cool. I did that. That's neat. I like it or at least appreciate it when the, the DM takes on the role of what a, a judge should be where it's like, okay, you have all this codified law, but you need a human to interpret the non-binary, non-code, non-words, rules, and regulations of that's, that's, law. That's James in, in our in our group. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, I sure as heck appreciate it because my character died like on the first night or the second night I was playing. It's like, oh, yeah, but, you know, your your ankle went the other way. And so now you got one hit point left. So you're <laughs> all right. Yes. It would have really sucked to die on the second try. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we kept you alive. I appreciate it. Yes. I think the best part was the role playing between uh, Sled and his brother, Ned. When you were trying you guys to won't let me kill him. <laughs> you're trying to you're trying to booze him up to get information out of him. Well, yeah, but and then after a while, I was I was like, look, and I was trying to play my character too, where I was like this complete prick. I was only into it for myself. And uh, some people would say it's not acting. And like, here's a guy who's going to be a rival. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and say, and then you could just hear the <sighs> from the DM like, okay, well. And then you got to read in between the lines, like, oh, maybe this guy well, has an important. I, well, I totally went with it. I'm like, you know, let's let's do this. Let's. <laughs> I think that's when I did like trip in the rafters or something. In that. I think so. You made you made, you failed a roll, and I had you trip, and that's yeah. how everyone knew you were there. Trying yeah. to climb the boxes or something you like trying, that. Yeah, you're yes. trying to climb the boxes of the, the the dead rat gang in the warehouse. And I think I rode snake eyes and just. Yeah. You did, yes. Yep. <laughs> Came up short on that one, but it made for good role playing, so that's good. It did, uh, Vince. I think a lot of your games are, you know, you, you do try to keep a little bit of keeping the the player happy. You know, I know with my characters, I'm always like doing something stupid and weird, and not always playing the the min maxer that James wishes I would play. <laughs> he totally <laughs> does want you to do that. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, I appreciate that. And it's interesting, right? So, like in a game like D and D, it it really tends more towards the power gaming aspect of having everything optimized and being the most efficient killing machine that you can be. Mm. Uh, you know, but but other games, I, I feel like are less so, depending on what you're playing, right? I mean, you know, certainly in a narrative game, that's you know much less important. Um, you know, maybe something like Warhammer that has so much lore behind it. Not that D and D doesn't, but um, you know, I, I think D and D in particular kind of lends itself to sort of that mindset. But you know, like anything in Savage Worlds, you know, take a fault, take a you know a hindrance, take you know things that are gonna you know mechanically uh, be bad for you. Numenera, same thing, Cipher System. More um, like that too. Right, but then you know you you know it gives you a good role playing hook. It, it it informs the character and sort of like you know, uh, gives you some space in the world and things that you can work with that, you know, like, I don't think D&D &D does that really well. Now, fifth, a little different, like, you know, has flaws now and bonds and things like that. So you can, you know, kind of hamstring yourself a little bit in a, in a role-playing aspect. But I, I think when it comes down to the nuts and bolts, though, still, like, okay, I get a, a plus four if I play this race to do this thing. So, like, you know, it, it starts to inform those decisions right from the get-go. That's I guess it, one of the funner things was just randomly selecting the character sheet that was pre-made and like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Is that what you did for uh, our campaign? Yeah, and then it turned out to be exactly me, so which was <laughs> just a weird statistical. I mean, height, weight. Every, I'm surprised he didn't have my same middle name. It was really kind of – and he's from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Holy shit. Uh, <laughs> but no, it was, but it was just kind of cool because you – once you say, I don't have this vested interest personally, emotionally, psychologically in this character, except to play him or her, you randomly pick one, and then it, it makes the game a lot more fun in that you have to be that person. 
in addition to all the other, you know, okay, what do I optimize my weaponry? What is my strategy going to be? Uh, do I want to use this potion? Okay, uh, what what equipment or gear do I want to take? But because you are interacting, it, it's not a, a purely linear robotic game. You are going to interact with other characters in the party. Uh, and so to, to really try and, and take on that role, I think, adds a lot of color and flavor and fun. Now, now, for all the regular role players, then, do you find that you always bring a piece of yourself to a character, or do you explicitly try to play something that is completely not like yourself? Hmm. I I really can't speak to that too much. Maybe in the NPCs that I play, but I my role playing history hasn't been actually playing characters. The 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 rare exceptions when I've gone to conventions. But I've usually run the game. I've been the dungeon master. Right. I find that um, I have more. I tend to have. I like the idea of playing characters who are like cool, who are you're, you know, like wish fulfillment, who I wish I would be like, oh, super cool, buff dude with like magic powers and a big sword and stuff. Um, but they tend to be not as fun in the actual in the role playing part of it. Um, mm playing a character like uh Spritle that i'm playing in uh in vince's game Spritle uh, is awesome yeah that's a, that's, that's a, a lot of fun that's a blast character. to play and he's yeah. uh, it's totally not my kind of style of character but i just because when you're playing like cool buff hero dude like you, you don't say anything you don't you know you're just strong silent gruff dude who just kills stuff and you know you're, you're basically a, a frank frazetta painting um but uh <laughs> yeah when when you when you play stuff a little out of the box and 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 for me someone who's like a little bit goofy it just is more fun i don't know yeah do you think that that playing that opposite to yourself kind of character doesn't give you uh, a a touchstone to relate to when you're trying to role play a character like that well i mean there's i can't say he's like totally opposite me like that, there's definitely parts of him that are you know that I uh, identify with, um, so yeah, I kind of I kind of like the idea of him being like too honest and and too straightforward. So I kind of like lean into that. Um, it's kind of similar to to I'm, I'm basically playing uh, TJ in his teenage years um, in in diplomacy. <laughs> but well, I don't uh, even know. I was going to say, I don't even know if you want to play your complete exact opposite because that's just you. you know, okay, what would I do? Okay, well, I'd do the opposite. What would I not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's I mean, I like yeah. – this is why I don't like playing someone of the opposite sex. It's like, no, nah, I'm not going that far. I'm not, I'm not that much of a method actor. Uh, <laughs> so here's my, here's my question as somebody who's not, who hasn't done the whole turn uh, RPG, like Dungeons & Dragons stuff. What is it that makes – uh, RPGs um, and fantasy genre blend so well together. It seems like that's overwhelmingly what the genre. You, you, it doesn't really go into other types of. You know, you're not going to see a, a film noir style role playing game, but it for some reason lends itself really well to, to fantasy or mm. um, and all that. And well, I'm curious what makes that. For well, first it. Fantasy encompasses such a huge. It, it's 
ridiculously global. It, it's, it has, there's, there's really no boundary. I mean, you can put boundaries on your magic and things like that okay. to sort of make it, but it's so, there's no, there's no limit. I mean, it's just, it's wide open. Um, and it was the fantasy role-playing game, again, bringing back to Dungeons and Dragons in first edition, the, you know, the, the, what they would call basic set or the orig- original D&D. It had it start there. Um, and I think that's, honestly, everything is derived from that, but that's where it has its start. And once again, it's, it's, it's just wide open. It's such a huge playing field. Whereas yeah, something like maybe like a noir, you, it, you can only go so far with that. It's like, right. taking, a, it's like taking a movie and then saying, we're going to make a role-playing game around it. It's still limited to that, that particular... Uh, you know what game or what type of game... I remember when, as I was a kid, I, I think it was a game based on the TV show Combat, which was about a squad in World War II in hmm. France. I always wanted to see a role-playing game kind of based on that. There was this computer game that my family had. We, I never played it, but it was uh, a role-playing game or turn-based game on, for PC... Um, about the hundred and first airborne, and so I always uh, thought that might something like that would be, or a board game, or something like that would be cool. But it's just be figuring. Awesome. It'd be, yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it'd be all about figuring out. Because I remember when I was a kid, I so this is where I get to where I really got nerdy. Is I used to have this massive, massive. I do mean massive collection of plastic soldiers. I had the Alamo. I had the Revolutionary War, Vietnam. He still War. has them. I saw his house. They're still there. <laughs> Sleeps with a couple in bed for security blanket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what the you know what the reality about that is? I I'm not going to say who in my family, but one of them took my entire collection to Goodwill. One day. And I I show up and you know I was in high school or whatever, but. I just, they go, well, we thought you didn't want it anymore. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> and so I saw these two, um, the, the Alamo set and the Revolutionary War set on eBay. And the only other, and there was like 20 bucks or $30 for, for a piece. Whereas the only other option was to buy them outright for like unopened for $300. So they basically those, don't. Those are sets you would see in the, the back advertisement of a comic book. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the yeah. thing is you, you, those things they don't make them anymore and they don't yeah. make them at the same quality anymore so i, yeah, I ended up getting them so i'm actually in the process i i'm willing to admit it i'm in the process of rebuilding my plastic soldier collection i still have the thing is i still have my the only soldier that they left um that they forget like was left out of the bucket that they picked up and took away so i have <laughs> it, it on my prisoner desk of war no it was, one of, the, it was, it was us. one of the plastic soldiers that had the the bayoneted uh the, the rifle with the bayonet and he's like charging or whatever so i have that on my desk it's sort of <laughs> sort of like a childhood thing but um <clears throat> getting to what i was originally gonna my original point was i always was trying to figure out how would you do a a rpg game with plastic soldiers I know that there's guys I've met them and it's amazing how much they break it down to like technical details and supply lines and all that. I'm thinking some games you just want to keep simple so that because if it gets really complicated, you most I <clears throat> curious about what your guys thoughts on this. My biggest problem getting people to play a new game is the amount of explanation that and and having to teach them all the stuff about the game whereas if it's a really easy game to pick up and play right away they're going to be more likely to do it um and that was one of the problems i was running into when i was trying to design my own game i was thought well nowadays you have to compete even harder for their attention are you you trying to get non-gamers in to these games or 
or people who are pretty experienced and are familiar with like a lot of the I'm, the general concepts and and genres. I almost want it to be a game where I can bring it over for a family event, you know, like a family gathering, and we can actually get everybody to put their cell phones down for five seconds to play a game. And like I John, like John's old lady would actually stick it out and play the whole. Yeah, and and where people actually want to do it, lady. <laughs> well, the problem is the moment you start explaining the rules, if you go too long, people will go, "This is this is too complicated. I don't want to do this. Let's do something else." Like, I don't know, check check YouTube to see a stupid cat video or something like that. When I was a kid, I, I, yeah. uh, a neighbor had a had a game that was based. Uh, he didn't have a game, but he made a game out of these like plastic monsters and knights and things. It was kind of silly because like it was just like. Well, the knights have one point and the monsters have two. So the monsters always won. You know, no matter how many knights you, you threw at them, the monsters would always kill two of them. So um didn't quite work for him that way. But um, I just posted a link to a, a game that you can play with Legos. Basically, you make, like, mecha out of Legos. And uh, I don't know if this is as simple as you, you, want, you were trying to saying it should be, but... It's a pretty cool little game that you you can sit there and you can make your own little mecha unit out of out of Legos and uh, play on your table. It's called a Mobile Frame Zero. Yeah, the, what's kind of cool is um, the one of the breweries in town has board games. So when my friends would come over, I'd, I'd manage to get a gathering of of the tribe of my <laughs> my friends. We'd be able to just sit there and have a beer and and play games, and it was it was cool to be able to just uh, do that. Um, and it's nice to do that, have people still wanting to do that now, despite all the, the technology changes that have occurred, um, that this stuff is still has, that there's still interest in this kind of stuff. Well, board games are huge. I mean, tabletop in general, between RPGs and board games, is just huge now and such a huge upswing. I mean, if you go to Kickstarter, there's, you know, five or 600 games going at any particular moment looking for, you know, for funding. Yeah. And, and there, I mean, there is, so, there, you know, D&D is sort of like the hallmark for a lot of people as, as, you know, sort of the granddaddy role-playing game. But there, there are a lot of, I mean, you can find anything to suit, uh, you know, the style of game you may want to play. I mean, there actually are a few uh, noir games. There's a Cthulhu Confidential, uh, which has a noir aspect to it. Um, you know, the, the regular Call of Cthulhu, you know, 20s, you can kind of do that. Dogs in the Vineyard, uh, you know, Trail of like Gumshoe in general. Uh, right. I'm sure Savage Worlds probably has a setting. Um, you are, know, there so any, are there any Sherlock Holmes? Sta- There's got to be at least one Sherlock Holmes style game uh, where, where you're trying to do an investigation. There, and oh, so there, I believe there was, um, and there still may be. Gabe, do you know anything about that? Um, there's, uh, I think there's a noir book I have. If you want, I can like, run upstairs and was, grab it. Was it uh, 221 Baker Street? No, I don't think something? it was like, uh, it's not the book. I, the, the little role playing game I have isn't based on, uh, Sherlock Holmes or anything, but it is like a noir, like mystery kind of thing. I'm going to go grab it real quick and so I can, um, uh, tell you the name of it. But hold okay. on. Well, and I'll also yeah, say this, is, TJ. Yeah, to, to you know, if you're bringing a, a group of of people who haven't played at all, um, you know, like a, and I'm sure you probably know this already, but you know, like a lighter style game, like say Splendor, or uh, you yeah. know, something that's just like strictly, 
like almost no strategy all at all like you know zombie dice or martian dice or something to be like hey this is a fun activity here's a real simple thing and then once yeah. you hook them with something really simple you know, you start <laughs> the, ga- the gateway up. drug yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and, and they have to be invested too like so if they're right. like totally resistant at the outset if they're not going to put any any you know if they're not willing to you know take a few minutes i'm not saying they should sit there for for four hours and go through you know an encyclopedia but if they're not willing to like you know go through some basic rules and stuff they're probably not gonna i mean maybe they would enjoy the game but you know they they have like a little level of investment and engagement from the outside i think but okay um this this game it was a kickstarter game i believe Uh, and i know the people that were um who made it uh, it's called norlandia uh, it's a, kind of like a, I'm not going to call it a sequel, but uh, they made another game called, jeez, um, oh, I can't I can't remember that, like some kind of kingdom building game. But anyway, this says um, it's Norlandia by Evan Rowland, uh, a fallen metropolis, blanketed in white ash, bustling port city built on top of an enormous dying beetle, blah, blah, blah. Norlandia is a competitive role-playing game, cooperative role-playing game about a desperate investigation in a frantic city. Finding the answers does not mean you win. Dying does not mean you lose. It's not about justice. It's about what you're willing to give up to get it. One shot, a one-shot GM-less RPG for three to four players. Solve the mystery with your deck of cards and a handful of dice and a corkboard. You know, Sounds pretty cool. You, you could probably even do that with something like Fiasco, right? If you find the right rule set. Because it's, it's GM-less and you just... It, it's just crazy, you know, it's like a Fargo ending every time, you know? Yeah, I'm looking at the page right now. It looks pretty cool. Hey, Zenas, uh, if you had an idea for a video game, and I'm talking something as simple as, like, one of the old school, I don't know if you remember Dragon Warrior, or if you're even old enough to remember Dragon Warrior. Did we lose them? Um, no, I'm here. Um, oh. Dragon Warrior. Sounds Final familiar, Fantasy. Remember oh, the- oh, you mean a video game. Um, video game, yeah. Didn't you program a video game where we get to shoot all our friends? Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to think if I remember one called Dragon Warrior. I think it's old, right? It's not. It was like an old console game, wasn't it? Yeah, it predates predates, um, Final Fantasy. But just like a top-down level where you put your party together and you got to go slay some some enemies. Uh, I know it's tried to become very three-dimensional and almost gives you a seizure watching some of these video games now but an adventure action rpg essentially what kind of budget are people looking for and i mean what are you looking at when if that some a good job is to be done of it i mean that kind of stuff is uh i mean depending on the level of detail you want to add uh it can take a long time and there's a there's a few indie developers working on this stuff on the side um if you were to put together a team of like five or six people and you want to be able to eat and pay your bills and stuff and you want to work full time on it, the, the general consensus uh, for game development is 10000 per month per head. So you're talking $50,000 a month for five people and uh, years? About, probably about two years, three years. So that's a lot of money. Um, okay, maybe almost, I go back to the three or four million. Yeah, yeah, I, I, no, think I mean, I go that's, back to two-dimensional one. And that's even like, you know, even a, a game that you think, you know, two dimensions or three dimensions doesn't really matter as much. It depends on who, what kind of art the people involved can do. If you have someone who can do 3D modeling, you know, and they can do it for you re- regularly, um, you know, 3D or 2D, it's not really that different when you're 
creating the systems that run the game. That's kind of the, the harder part. And then most of those things, most of the games that are out there, um, it's not the it's not the first mile that that hurts. It, you know, you can get a game system and things functional and whatever. It will just look like shit, and no one will want to play it. But if you spend two or three years polishing it and putting you know detail into it, that's where all that extra time and money is going to get invested. And the more you the more time you put into polishing, the better the better the experience is going to be for everyone. And that includes uh, playtesting and getting feedback and re-implementing things and stuff like that. What was the game where it was ugly people? The characters were ugly and they rushed it to market. Um, oh, anything by Bethesda, I guess. <laughs> oh, I, well, I think it was by Bethesda. They're the uh, same ones that made... Uh, well, I oh. think you're... I think you might be talking about Assassin's Creed, where like the people's faces disappeared and nothing was left but their hair and their no, eyeballs. No, this is a this is a space one, and it was in outer space, and the heroine was ugly, and the the characters went from you know standard hot, you know, three of these video games ago, and by its third sequel, um, even the media was mocking and ridiculing how bad the people looked uh, in this game. I'll, I'll see if I can't look it up and find it. Um, as far as like top-down stuff, there are people making interesting uh, games uh, that are kind of more like role-playing games or like more like kind of uh, stories that are kind of playing for you. I think the, the one I uh, the one I can think of off the top of my head is called Dwarf Fortress. Um, oh yeah, I've heard of that. I haven't played it. Mass Effect. That's the game. Or fortress is um, basically it's in ASCII. If you know what ASCII is, it's uh, I don't know. Is it in ASCII? Yeah. So like the entire game is generated procedurally, and it uses the English character set to, or the character set for old computers to generate the landscape and the and the um, the creatures and stuff in it. And there's like living, it's almost like a living world where you have like um, various uh, people or dwarves or whatever, you know, trying to eke out their living in like Cosmodan or whatever. And uh, they come across like monsters and shit happens to their fortress and floods come and wash everything away. It's kind of cool in that it builds like this story while you're playing it. And I think you're playing it more from like God mode than you are from. Uh, I could be talking completely out my ass on this one, but um, it's more like um, you're kind of guiding the, the civilization of dwarves. But there's other games that also do something similar on a, on a more um, role-playing-esque type way. And I bought one not too long ago. And again, I don't remember the name of the damn thing, but um, it's basically top-down. Your guy's a little like 8-bit character, like a line and like a stick man. And uh, you're running through the... Uh, generated world trying to you know i guess adventure your way to glory like a like a roguelike kind of thing yeah there's a lot of roguelikes like that too where you're just like you 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 play the game until your character dies and that's the end and you know um you start over again and it's all new and everything's regenerated uh completely from from uh scratch and you don't know where anything is anymore um and there's a lot of indie games that are basically trying to do this kind of thing. There's people making things like Zelda or 
more complicated RPGs that are hawking back to like the, the Nintendo days or like the early 8-bit computer days and stuff like that. Well, the graphics are, I mean, okay, graphics were cool 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I remember when Super Nintendo came out and that blew everything out of the water. But now the graphics are just, I, I, don't, I don't know how much further you can improve them to the point that I don't need another first-person shooter. I mean, when Halo came out, it was revolutionary and groundbreaking. Now, Call of Duty 47, the the Revenge of Bill, or whatever they're going to call it, um, I'm sure the graphics are going to be spectacular. I'm kind of missing clever and funny gameplay that actually makes games fun. I, I think that that would be where the, where the hopefully the future of gaming is going, because I, I just... Legend of Zelda, um, Breath of the Wild, that was really cool to play. Um, but it wasn't because of the, the graphics. Uh, it was just because of, of all the fun, cool stuff that you could do. But and If you um, really want to get freaked out at the Uncanny Valley, there is. Uh, you should look at some of the, the latest Unreal Engine demos where you're like looking at virtual people that don't actually exist, and they're almost photogenically real. Um, it's gotten to the point where I think a lot of players don't want to play... Uh, they don't want to play a challenging game. They just want to be a part of like a, a narrative or a story or you know, like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of thing. So like the graphics are getting really good, but the gameplay is kind of like turning into just like, do I want to continue? Yes. And they, that's kind of what a lot of modern, you know, cut speed, you know, quick yeah. time never, event. You'd never think the millennials or there'd be a generation get so lazy that they'd be lazy at playing video games. That's like that. I just want to press the red button and win and see the final end scene. <laughs> we is- used to get yelled at, but we had to try. There was no cheat codes, man. We had to try our way through Dragon Warrior, yeah. Pac-Man. <laughs> if you're too lazy to play a video game, what does – I'm trying to <laughs> – it reminds me of that um, – what was the name of that that comedian? He said, "If you've ever been too drunk to fish, you might be a redneck." Well, if you oh Jeff Foxworthy, yeah, Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> you, if you're too lazy to play a video game, um, I'm trying to think of what that's pretty lazy. Yeah, but <laughs> what? <laughs> Gabe, what was what was the what was this unreal stuff where it was it looked? Oh, I just uh, very put a real. link. I just put a link to it. Out. Yeah. Uh, so th- there is a. a different set of uh, games coming out uh, that are very masochistically hard. Uh, I mean, there's ones like Cuphead, which came out recently that's beautiful. It looks beautiful artistically and it has an interesting like story to go with it, but it's it's a hard game. Um, and you just have to bang away at it like for hours and hours and hours. Same thing with Super Meat Boy a few years ago. I mean, these are games that are like really hard. They're harking back to like the old, you know, Nintendo console games, you as a kid, you would just sit there and just do them over and over again until you figured it out. You, you like know, memorize the hours. level. Yeah, the but there's there's like a new like sadistic like sadomasochistic like hardcore video games genre out there. I forget what they're calling it, but it's basically the game does everything it possibly can to piss you off. Like you jump across the gap at the you know. A big bullet comes flying out and kills you just as you do it. <laughs> so I mean, it's just like real life. Yeah, and, and they're, 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 like the exact pixel or you, yeah. Or, the, the designers have like taken pains to like make sure that everything you do the first time kills you, and then you have to do it again. And, and then when you succeeded at that, there's another thing that kills you right away. Um, and I forget what that genre is called, but it's basically hardcore like masochistic gaming. 
so it does exist. And it's a lot. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an a opposition lot to the other thing. Yeah. That but doesn't right, seem like fun at all. Yeah, it <laughs> sounded like that Tom Cruise movie where he had to memorize all of his moves to kill the aliens. Yeah, that's getting basically killed. Contra. No, not Contra. What was the movie Tom oh, Cruise yeah. oh, was in? Called, uh, Edge of Tomorrow or Edge something tomorrow, like that. Yeah. Never that's dies. what it is. You, you yeah. die. You get killed by an enemy. You start over at the level. It's just like playing Contra on Nintendo. <laughs> Sounds like a bad version of ha- Groundhog Day. You know what? Just to digress, I, I watched that movie, and I think it would have been better had everyone died at the end, right? I mean, is that not a better film if if he dies at the end than have everybody like yeah, kind of a happy through? ending after the uh, that kind of got pulled out of the ass was a little bit of a yeah. I agree. It, it just bothered me. Like, not everything has a happy ending. I mean, the fucking notebook, you know, she dies or he dies or whatever the hell it is. I don't know. Would have been much weirder if everybody died in Groundhog Day. That's really not Bill Murray's <laughs> cup of tea. Everyone just okay. gets hit by a truck. Yeah, or when he drives the truck off the cliff, that's just the end of the movie. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Although, the, 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 um, the original ending for Clerks was horrible, and Dante gets killed at the store. Spoilers for what? a movie that's forty years old. Yeah, you, you can get it on the DVD. I don't know if it's the special edition or the regular edition, but they have the the original ending. Was he's standing there? It's late at night. This dude walks in. He's like, "Yeah, what do you want?" Blah blah blah. A little bit of small talk. He shoots him, and then credits. Like that's it. It's over. Oh shit! He wasn't even supposed to be there today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a little too hard house. Like. <laughs> it was two days from retirement. <laughs> I think in the pretty woman, she wasn't supposed to get with the guy. And they changed the ending so they, they got back together. Or yeah, I think John together. mentioned that on a recent podcast. Yeah. Um, All right, we don't have to talk this. about Julia yeah. Roberts anymore. I am shocked, <laughs> I've, though. That I've, I've never seen this movie, by the way. Oh. <laughs> All right, back on track. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. So where's everyone at with their own, like right now, their own gaming um, uh, life? Is anyone doing, I mean, we talked briefly about how you got here. Uh, is anyone doing anything? Right? I mean, I know, I know John is. John is John is insane with the board games and everything else, obviously with Legends of Tabletop. Is anyone else gaming with something right now? Are they playing something right now? Are they thinking I played, about um, I played this game, and I've played it before uh, a few years ago, but I, I just bought it um, at um, Too Many Games out in uh, Oaks, PA. But it's called Escape, the Curse of the Temple. Hmm. And it has like a, an audio component. Um, and the really? game only lasts 10 minutes. And you start the audio and you begin playing and the audio just kind of has like this like background music, but there's like throughout the audio, there's like um, three sections and um, you get like a gong or something that delineates the three sections and it gets more tense as the time goes on. But the game is basically uh, you're in, you start in a tomb and you have to try to escape and you have to get like all these gems to kind of get rid of the curse or whatever. And you have to find the exit uh, hmm. and like, twice in the middle of the game you have to go back to the start of the of the level or the start of the game and then find your you know work your way out again uh till you find the exit and it's pretty hard uh and it's it's kind of cool uh in that you have this like 
um, this anxiety build up in you because like, oh shit, that's the second gong. We only have like four minutes left. What are we gonna do? And um, you're 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 also playing the game in real time. So you're constantly just rolling the dice and you know tallying up the, the results of the dice and trying to um, trying to cooperatively get out of the dungeon. Uh, how do they? How does the audio come packaged? Is that something like some download well, or is it the game? It, it's uh, it actually the game comes with a CD, but who has a CD player anymore? You can just <laughs> yeah. play the you can just play the YouTube. Hey 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 hey! Hold cassette on. It comes with a cassette. <laughs> it, it comes with an eight track. There you go. <laughs> so that's a it was a cooperative like yeah, and you have to game? like. Yeah, and you have to basically you every it's got tiles, and you start off in the middle tile, and you uh, can roll dice, and one of the dice uh, sides lets you pick a tile, or I think you have to find combinations of dice. You can pick a tile, you can put it down, and those rooms will have like various like amounts of either they might have gems in them, they might not have gems in them, and you have to get a certain number of gems uh, for each of the rooms that has gems in it in order to escape. Uh, well, basically, you have a pool of gems. You have to get rid of all the gems in your pool um, somehow, and then you have to find the exit at the same time. And you're building this map as you go, so you don't know where the exit's going to end up. Uh, so you could find yourself trapped on the other side with no time left to get to the. <laughs> um, and you have to roll the dice to kind of move and to get things. And the dice have um, one side of the dice is like this black black mask, and when you get that, you can't roll that die anymore until you roll a gold mask and you can help each other out by giving each other dice to you know um, make combinations and get people out of binds and things like that um, it's really cool it, it, t- it takes 10 minutes to play because that's it's like if you're not done in 10 minutes you've lost um, and it's kind of like it's it's frantic a little bit and it's good to play with like a group of people I think it's like up to f- it says up to five people and you can play it by yourself too, but I don't know who would want to. It sounds boring, but um, yeah, if you got five people all at the table screaming and yelling, rolling dice, and you know trying to make deals and stuff like that to get people out and yelling about strategy and things, it, it gets pretty cool. So that's what I that's what I uh, last played a couple of weeks ago cool. or something. How about you, Dan? Anything on your uh, gaming plate? Well, uh, DM canceled the last gaming session, so I did. Yeah. <laughs> We're, <laughs> we'll, don't worry. I have plans on starting okay. up in autumn. But no, no, yeah. What uh, uh, you were mentioning briefly not too long ago that you were you started uh, gaming with your son. Yeah, uh, just a uh, he's he's five, so um, I kind of just introduced him to uh, quote unquote Dungeons and Dragons, where it's bas- basically um, you know what he he made he picked a character. Uh, he, I decided like uh, I gave him some options for like what powers he wanted to have, and uh, and then we like I draw a map and give him a situation, and he decides what he wants to do. And you know, absent any like actual rules, I just you know arbitrarily decide okay, uh, based on how hard or easy I think it is, I, I give him a number, and if he rolls higher than that, he succeeds or not. And uh, so like really simple, straightforward, and. Um, I've just been really surprised at like how out of the box like some of his uh, solutions are to these things. Like the the very first um, encounter, uh, he was playing a he's playing a dwarf 
And I, I told him, okay, you're in the, you're in the goblin cave and you're trying to steal a gem. And uh, so, you know, we roll the dice and, oh no, a goblin spotted you. What do you do? And uh, he says he's, he tries to trick him that he's, uh, he's just trying to fix the statue. He's not trying to steal the gem like, like uh, the Grinch in the Grinch who stole Christmas when uh, Cindy Lou Who comes out. Um, so I, I thought that was pretty funny. And um, yeah, he just had a couple of little uh, kind of clever, uh, <laughs> uh, totally unexpected by me uh, decisions that uh, it's been great. Um, so I'm trying to, trying to do some more of that. And uh, at some point kind of, you know, make it more introduce some more rules and stuff but for now this it's perfect it's just like you know we're we're kind of telling a, a story together and, and he's on an adventure and he's having a blast is he old cool. enough to read yet no um he's just like on the cusp basically he's, uh, he's on these spot run books yeah yeah he's doing yeah he can he can like read individual words but he's not like you know All right, so he's not going to be into like choose your own adventure books yet no, not quite, but I'm, I'm sure he's going to be in into it, uh, you know, soon. I think once he does start reading, he's just going to go, ape shit, <laughs> and just like, don't know, have he, him he, be he one of those. Stories. Don't have him be one of those kids. I walked past the library today, and it's like, come discover the summer adventure. I'm like, in the library, it's <laughs> 85 degrees. It's, it's sunny out. What the hell is wrong with you people? <laughs> go read outside. No, no, yeah. no. There's no. Re- they're gonna make this poor kid read enough in school. He's, 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 that's funny. It's reading for pleasure. Yeah, yes. yeah. Not, not sign reading. Uh-huh. That's so why many... I always look forward to the summers when I was in college, so I could actually read shit that I wanted to. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. And make good things. Pretty much all the books are made into movies anyway, so you don't have to read the books. <laughs> so I save all that time. Well, Aaron, you're you're just a huge fan of audiobooks too, right? I am also a fan of audiobooks. That's another way to not waste your time on this finite planet sitting there anchored into a chair. You can go run and listen to the Grapes of Wrath if you'd like and and do whatever you road trip, yes, hike, everything. There you go. <laughs> hike. So Aaron, watch out for that bear. Aaron on the record against reading in general. Good, good man. All right, okay. All right, just yeah, that's where we are. Okay, gotcha. Well, no, Dan, Dan saying you're you're on the record for. Being oh no, I'm asking Aaron. That's what his, that that's we're clarifying. Oh yeah, that, I know, hate reading. No, I'm I'm totally reading. against it. Gotcha. Okay, okay. I'm I'm not saying be illiterate. I mean, you're gonna have to read it's signs. Good to know how to read? Like yeah, order should... order a Whopper Junior or whatever. Right. The... You know, I'm not saying don't learn how to read. I'm just saying like if it's. 82 degrees and sunny out and it looks like it's going to be a Ferris Bueller's day off. I'm not sitting and spending it in the oh, library. Yeah. I'm stealing the Ferrari. We're going to see a Cubs game and we're going to go look at some art. Bueller. I know. Agreed. Agreed. I, but see, like, that's the sort of thing. Like, I'm lucky here because I have mountains like 15 minutes from my house. So I go with my daughter all the time and we'll go hiking. And I'll bring a journal. I try to write a little bit. Sometimes I'll even bring a book because we go out and we'll hike. And then, you know, we'll bring snacks or we'll bring lunch or whatever. And we'll just sit outside. But, you know, like then I'll read for half an hour, you know, or we'll just, you know, watch the the clouds go by. Like, it, you know, so you got to you got to be able to find that happy medium where you can do both of those things, you know, together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Audio books. 
You guys could have talked out a ton of books on the hike up and down. You guys would you got have would have gotten way more than thirty minutes of reading. It. Aaron, do, when, you walk, when you're out hiking, you you have you're saying you have earphones in, you're listening to an audio. Do you keep the volume down so you get the ambient noise, uh, the ambient noise of nature around you, or are you just going to get We're just shutting it out? No, I, for the most part, it's being shut out. But when I get to like a top of a ridge, or if I get to the destination, I'll take them off and kind of look around. Oh, okay. And I can tell you, um, the sounds of the middle of the nowhere Badlands and the top of mountains sound the exact same. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's all there is. And you're kind of like, yeah, all right. Well, maybe I'll listen to something else instead. Uh, see, I disagree so hard. I, I went hiking by myself the other day, and I, I thought briefly to grab my MP3 player, but I enjoyed the experience of just being, you know, in the element, like just being Ever? outside and being able to just like listen to yourself f- wheeze as you go up the trail. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not, I don't wheeze. I go to the gym all the time, but. You know, just just to be in that element and, and absorb that sort of like in a Zen fashion, just to like be outside. Like, you know, we'll get out and like you know sit, and it's just quiet. Like, it's never quiet. You, your your phone because you got beeping. kids. If you don't have kids, it'll be quiet all the time. <laughs> no, but your your phone jingles or like you know you're like we you know podcasting all the time or you know you're just like there's always noise. Your air conditioner's running. You get up out of the mountain, it's there's nothing like the. Right, you get a little bit of wind. That's it. Like it's yeah. it's phenomenal. I've been there. Yeah, for many hours. <laughs> Though okay. I'll admit, there's one one cool thing because uh, if you live down in Arizona, and Arizona is beautiful for hiking, and yes, yeah, sometimes you you can take the headphones off. The coolest thing I ever heard, and I spotted it right before it went over a horizon, was a YF twenty. Uh, I'm sorry, not YF twenty two. The F twenty two fighter plane, the new one, and you felt it, even though it was like a good ten miles away. So it, it, I'm not saying there's nothing. There's no reason to take the headphones off. It's just I've hiked well over. I I don't know. I got to be approaching. I'd have to do the math, but five thousand miles. Um, it's it, 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 yeah. It, it's you'll start to tune it out because after a while, it does start to sound all the same. Hmm. I guess. But <laughs> no. <laughs> that that that's that's for me to get out to the mountain is is my like reconnection. You know, just to get out and sort of like recenter and and just sort of be, you know, elemental, I guess, in that fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. I I look forward to. It. I try to get out there at least at least once a month. Like even I, now, we're like we're in the summer. My brother and I went like two weeks ago, and it's you know it's a hundred something degrees here. So it's mm-hmm. you know ninety five degrees up in the mountain, and you know we hike seven miles or whatever. You know. Oh, it's no, it's I love it to death, but. I'll grant you this. Now, I, I don't, do you, are you down in Phoenix? Are you up in Flagstaff? Where are you at down in no, we're, I'm always – I'm south of uh, Tucson. Oh, okay. You're kind of down south there. I, well, well, there's tons of hiking all over, I'm sure you know. One one I really like is Sabino Canyon, mm-hmm. but you go you go on the ridge to avoid the people. That's If you can get away from the people when you got to hike a ways to do it, then it actually – I could see where you take your headphones out. And, and you go hiking. But if you're doing like Squaw Peak or anything in the in the Phoenix Valley, you you definitely want your headphones in because you ain't going to hear no peace and quiet. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. There, there's not usually a lot of people when we go. Cool. And I'm hiking talking. <laughs> yes, now on, now on hiking.com. Whybooksuck.org. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, well, let's steer, steer conversation back around. Uh, for, for the board game players, do you uh, enjoy a cooperative game more or something that's more competitive? Competitive. Mm, yeah. That's camaraderie with guys. Like, you, you, you can't let your friend win. You don't, you, you, you'd rather, do I want to be happy or do I want to crush him in defeat? It's like, yeah, I want to crush him. <laughs> crush. Right. What about you, TJ? As far as? Board gaming. Board gaming. Um, I've been struggling. I used to do it a lot with friends, but now that I'm, I'm trying to rebuild my social um, network over, I, I made him, for those of you who don't know, I, I moved over to the central part of the state last year when I bought a house. So I've been trying to rebuild that um, community, but um, the demographics are a lot different in terms of just age or um, interest, um, mainly hikers around here. So not nearly as many gamers, but um, we'll see what we can do. Right, okay. What about you, Gabe? Do you have a preference? Um, I, I mean, I do both. Uh, I guess tabletop, I mostly, I mostly like doing short, quick experiences, and they could be competitive. But I also like doing the cooperative kind of stuff too. Uh, I do a lot of um, competitive video gaming, so like I get a lot of it out of my system. <laughs> um, so like. I guess when I'm with friends, it's like, yeah, oh, whatever you want to do. And I'm just cool with that. As long as they were having fun, I'm having yeah. fun. It's more about just like hanging out and having a beer and um, just having a good time. And if people want to be competitive, I can be competitive. If they want to be uh, cooperative, that sounds fun too. No, I, I tend more towards the competitive myself. Like I teach a lot of games at work. I have a guy that I play with who's – not like a super board gamer, but like he's getting into it more and more. Cause I'll just bring games and we, you know, we play during lunch hour. Um, and, and I want to win like a hundred percent, but like, I'll bring in something new and I'm like, all right, this is how you play. And we'll start going through it. And like, he'll go to make a move. And I'm like, nah, I wouldn't do that. So if you do this, you know, and then it's like, oh, okay, well you win now. Right. So there's, there's that sort of, you know, you gotta be able to teach it to play it. Um, but, but, uh, Co-op stuff. Brother? I have a younger brother, yeah. Well, that's how you taught him is by crushing them all the time. And, yeah. <laughs> and they learn quicker that way. I yeah. Must- yeah, I, I, you know, I'll give him a little bit. Like, once he starts to, like, the guy I play with, uh, you know, once he starts to understand the game, then, like, you know, the gloves are off at that point. Uh, but, you know, like, to, the, to bring in something new, there's always that kind of, like, well, do I tell them that that's a really bad move and usually i do right because it's no fun you know for a new player to come to the table and be like oh what did you bring today it's like oh cool i have this all right this is how you play boom i beat you you know like that's that's just not any fun i mean it's kind of fun for me but but not even right because it's not even an earned victory at that point it's like i beat you because you don't really understand what's happening Mm. and that there's no validation i guess in that there's no uh you know, there's no true victory in that because it's like, well, I, I almost cheated because you really don't know what you're doing strategically, you know. Well, I'll tell you, when I play uh, against Danny Checkers and stuff like that, I just crush the shit out of him. I don't even care. <laughs> <laughs> Gets over soon. That's right. It's a quick game. Yeah. I got tons of validation out of that. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm so much smarter than my five-year-old. 
<laughs> See, that's what I love about playing games with my brother. Because it's the same thing. I'm like, all right, here's this game. This is how you play. We'll play through one, and he's kind of picking it up. And then it's just like, fuck you. I'm going to beat you the next time we play something, you know? He's very competitive. When I was out there, we were playing uh, Battletech. Yeah, yeah. God. <laughs> and and it is kind of that, that, that sort of, you know, bro camaraderie kind of thing where it's like, I'm just going to fucking wipe the floor with you right now. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Absolutely. That's how they know you love them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's a way to do it. And you lose too, right? I mean, you, you, you get the other side of that. So it always sort of evens out, or at least in most things anyway. Anybody see that wasp in the ant show? Have not. I, I'm I'm not a superhero movie guy, so I've seen only a handful of any of the movies. Hmm. I'm sure the book was better than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the audio. Uh, well, nothing really beats an audio book. No, I kind of look at it. And I'm kind of like, eh, it's not trying to be anything. It's not. And, but then it's like a two-hour commitment, and hmm. I was just maybe hoping one of you guys might have gone and seen it. No, I've I've been I'm I'm like John. I'm not a huge super superhero. I mean, they're okay. But. I heard that it was good, you know, from from people that have seen it. But but like you say, it is it is what you expect that it's going to be. It's not Shakespeare. It's an action movie. You know. Yeah. It's also three hours of your life. Is it that long? Well, no. You got to drive there and oh, maybe well, take yeah. a shower and put on deodorant. And I don't know. You go with somebody. <laughs> you find. You don't it. have to put deodorant on. You don't have to, but you know, and then, then then you go and then you sit and then you wait and then oh we gotta stick around for there's a scene, a secret scene at the end of the sequel. So now let's sit another fifteen fucking hours of our life waiting for this scene and then you're oh, like, that's no, cool. Yeah, like uh Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know how, have ever you guys all of you guys seen that movie? Uh just yeah. the, just the uh, first one. Okay. Yeah, I, I went to see that and uh uh, yeah, the movie was awesome, but uh, I'm waiting around for this post scene, post credit scene, and I'm like, I'm dying. I had a like large, like 128 ounce soda, and like I'm, I've just been like since like 45 minutes into the movie, I've been like having to go, and I'm waiting for this yes. this post credit scene. I'm like it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be so worth it. Just gotta stick it out. Howard the Duck. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> like that's that's what I waited here for, and uh, yeah. So I mean, I did have to change my pants and everything, but uh, that's the way it goes. What was what was the end scene or the after credit scene in the um, Infinity Wars? I didn't get it. What was that little emblem on Samuel L. Jackson's phone? That is uh, Captain Marvel, which is the one that's coming out sometime in 2019. Um, but that's the next superhero they're launching. Oh, okay. And so then he's going to go and save everybody. And Yeah, something like that. Okay. Um, to call it. I have no idea anything about Captain Marvel or any of that. But, uh, yeah, mostly I'm, um, I'm a fan of the, of the Marvel stuff, but I, I never really read much of the comics outside of the X-Men. But uh, I'm I'm a big fan of the movies. I'm, I'm really enjoying these movies. So I'm definitely – I haven't seen it yet, but I'm – uh, the Ant Man and the Wasp, but I'm definitely uh, excited for it. Remember so. when you were like little kids, and it was like novel and awesome to go to the movie. Movie could have been utter crap, and you were just excited to go to the movie. It was a huge. Oh, I experience. still feel like that. Yeah, I love any chance because I have well, I have like 800 kids at home, so 
<laughs> I, I only I like pretty much exclusively go to the movies by myself, except for if it's like you know a kids movie and I, I take take my son. But I like I, I get out to the movies by myself and I'm just like this is awesome. I'm in the theater. <laughs> nobody's nobody's like asking me for anything. Nobody's uh, trying to you know crawl on my lap. Uh, You're just and, glad to be out of your house. That's all. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah I don't know if exactly the movie experience that it is, or or just the you know, you know, peace and quiet. A little yeah. bit. A little both. Yeah. One of the coolest things, and I was, I don't know, when did the Lord of the Rings come out? Was that two thousand one? So I was twenty six, full grown adult, and uh, my buddy who runs a gaming company. Uh, hmm. Probably love to tune into this. I should. I should maybe have him on one of these days. Sure. Um, his old man picked us all up to see the midnight showing, the first showing of Lord of the Rings. Nice. And we all got in like little kids in the car <laughs> with his old man, and he took us to see Lord of the Rings. The two thousand man, that was so cool. That was really neat. Vince and I went to the midnight show. I, I worked night shift at the time, and he was like, oh, you got to come. I'm like, yeah. I've never read them. Oh, you got to. What do you mean you never read the books? Because there were movies to be made out of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, you know, I missed. I never read any of that stuff as a kid. I didn't read uh, C.S. Lewis. I didn't read Tolkien. I didn't read any of that stuff. So I came to all, all that stuff as an adult. So when I saw the movies, I had no... Uh, you know, nothing to compare it to to see, oh, well, they fucked this up or they fucked that up. So, like, for me, it was the perfect viewing experience. And then I didn't start the books until after I had seen all three movies. So, you know, of course, over a couple of years. But, yeah, he, I, we met, like, when I got out of work, we grabbed some dinner. We went to the theater. I think you brought your Lord of the Rings chess set. We were, like, we were really, sitting outside. We were, we were, too, we were so, like, so I'm actually curious. Um, because speaking, of, speaking of the first Lord of the Rings film, so and games um so i'm curious about your guys's thoughts on this uh, when when that film came out it was just a month or two after the 9-11 attacks in 2001 and it was also at the same time the movie or not movie the game halo came out mm. and so in both i don't know if you guys but i always saw the lord of the rings thing and halo almost allegorical unintentionally allegorical to what was going on at, at the time it being that young and not really realizing the full picture um, on that. Um, you know, 9-11 was an attack carried out by religious fanatics. Halo was about an alien race that is seeking to attack mankind because of a religious devotion, all that stuff. I don't know. I, I was curious what, if you guys put any of that stuff together or saw it as being intertwined just um, culturally and socially. Well, you mean the the nine eleven and then the movies? Because, uh, well, I mean, the production time for the movie was, I mean, obviously before the attack, and then the, right, the scheduling, right. and the scheduling of it. Um, no, I, I don't think I've I, made myself. I didn't make any connection. Got it. Yeah, and I was always wondering if that was just me and my group. Like, you know, we were pretty young. We were still in middle school at the time, mm. so that the and we just we didn't know anything about. Um, it, it, we like geographically, we weren't aware of what was going on. We knew very little about the political situation, and so having Mordor this- is located a little bit north of the Shire. <laughs> well, I'm, just, up line. But I'm, I'm just saying, coming from a kid, it, you're who doesn't know a lot, and I had never read the Lord of the Rings books before watching the movie. Uh, my my dad uh, or my family was not big in fantasy and all that stuff, so watching that. And then playing Halo and all that stuff, um, 
I just saw that as being it wasn't like I thought that they put out these games or the movie in response to it, but I saw it as allegorical at the time, mm. um, unwittingly. And so there was this this uh, not motif, but this whole concept of there's this far out threat and we got to go deal with it some far someplace far away gotcha. um, and, and all that stuff. So whenever I think about any of that stuff, I immediately think about the the other two um, at least the first Lord of the Rings, not the second one or third one. But when I watch the first Lord of the Rings, I immediately think of 9-11. When I'm playing Halo, um, I occasionally also think of it as well. Not necessarily I think it was a- definitely out there. Um, I remember reading like a review of uh, The Two Towers where they like, you know, well, obviously it's The Two Towers. It came out in like 2002. Uh, that 9-11 was kind of on people's minds. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely. I remember reading – and that um, review – definitely made several allusions to like comparisons to 9-11 and, and the response to it and everything like that and you know the idea of um you know yeah fighting uh against a, an enemy who seems you know uh like totally you know willing to do absolutely anything um so yeah i, th- I think it's uh, what i'm saying is it's i definitely re- think that sentiment was out there specifically you know with the the lord of the rings movies like it was uh um i think it was yeah it was part of the zeitgeist i'd say hey guys well, i got kind of bugger up i gotta i gotta take off no oh, me too oh. <laughs> thanks for having me guys hey you thanks guys. for jumping in thank yeah thanks it was fun cool. all right guys see you later see you. take it easy cool well, do we want to wrap up there then yeah, now we can talk about them. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we can we can wind down now. It's been a month, been almost two hours. Well, you're gonna have to add me to the list of uh, people to trash talk because I got to get out of here. God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> go, go get sleep. I still have 14 kids to put to bed. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll see you in the morning. All right, all right. Take it easy, Dan. Thanks for jumping in. Good talking. I'll see you. You. All right. Well, I'm gonna. Thank everybody for for stopping by and checking this out. This is a uh, is fun for us to kind of like reminisce and just you know talk about games and movies and you know just other nerd shit and just kind of geek out a little bit. So uh, we appreciate everybody who's uh, took the time to check this out, post comments on all other kind of stuff. Absolutely, thanks for yeah. joining. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, I think if not, mm-hmm. I'll go back and put it in for coffee. We have our own brand of coffee. So if you want to check in. that out, that's oh. awesome. It's it's yeah. literally brewed to order. Uh, yeah. Neil, who runs uh, our rogue trader game and fear itself game. Uh, he runs his own coffee business on the side. So he doesn't keep it in stock per se. So if you make an order, it's literally roasted for you and then shipped out within, you know, like the next day. So yeah, you're I not think- going to get, I think it's the Legends blend is fairly special. Not only is it a medium roast, which is you know middle of the road, but tasty. Um, when Neil gets the order, he doesn't wear pants while he's roasting it, so that adds extra. It's an extra ambiance. So. That, that's unconfirmed. That's a rumor. It's a rumor. Because <laughs> the roaster's really hot, you don't want to burn any bits or anything. Well, it's 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 kind of a double-edged sword. You get you get the hot roaster, no pants, you cool off, but you could also yeah burn the swimsuit area. Absolutely. As always, ratings, reviews on iTunes or whatever your podcatcher of choices is fantastic. That helps us out a ton. Uh, if you're on other 
uh, RPG forums and things like that. If you want to mention the show, that's great. But reviews, reviews, reviews. Uh, thank you for that. And yeah. Again, thanks for, for stopping by. Uh, I want to thank uh, TJ, new new uh, guest to the show. I have to have you uh, back on to, to talk about your writing specifically, kind of get you in the, the mix that we've got going on here. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cool. Very cool. It was good to have you on again, Vince. Uh, uh, I know we, we hang out and chat, but uh, haven't yeah. had you on the show in a while. Yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll be talking on Friday, business stuff. Cool, cool. Yes. Thanks, everybody. We'll uh, catch you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop Broadcast Network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.